0: Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. It's been a beautiful day and we're thankful for the opportunity to be together tonight. I appreciate Jared preaching in my absence this morning. I was at the Stanton Church in Stanton, Tennessee and it's out in the country if you didn't know that. It's about an hour or so from here and I had the opportunity to speak where Brother Garland Elkins preaches and he had asked me to come and begin a gospel meeting there. They have different speakers coming every day, and so it was hard to say no. And I appreciate the elders allowing me the opportunity to go and to be a part of that meeting today. And it's always good to be with good people. And I promise you, I really miss being here. There's no place like home, and there's no place I would rather be than right here. And so when I'm gone, I'm always thinking about home. It looks like we had a great day and for that I'm grateful. There was a singing at Stanton on Friday night and we took a busload of people to the singing. We had a lot of young people that went and every every guy that well, every guy that accompanied us on that trip led a song. And I said this morning that that little church building we literally raised the roof the singing was just outstanding. And if you don't know what it's like to ride on a bus on the way home with a bunch of teenagers, <laughs> then I've got another opportunity for you real soon, probably. Man, it was it was something coming home. But we made it, and we're glad for that. It was great to be with all the young people, and I appreciate their spirit and their willingness to go, and it it really, I think the, the people in Stanton really appreciated the young people that came. It gave them a spark, and so for that, I'm grateful. I want us to look tonight at Psalm 102. As we look at Psalm 102, this psalm has been titled by some as a prayer of an overwhelmed saint. Many believe that this particular psalm was written with a background to Israel's captivity in Babylon. And I think that you could certainly make that case. Whatever the situation, whether it be captivity or some other circumstance, the psalmist here literally pours his heart out to Almighty God. And when I read this psalm and as I think about what the psalmist is expressing many, many years ago, I'm reminded of the fact that we as God's people can conquer adversity. No matter what the circumstance or situation may be, in this life, because ultimately we serve a living God. And the God that we serve is a part of our lives on a daily basis. So I want us to look at Psalm 102 as we think about conquering adversity. And as we begin tonight, I would mention the fact that life is often filled with good and bad days. Sometimes we have better days than others. Sometimes, unfortunately, we have worse days than others. But whatever the case may be, what we need to understand is that God is always present in our lives. Here were people that had been removed to a distant land. They were in captivity. And yet, in the midst of this captivity, they needed to be reminded that God was with them. And so we today sometimes need to be reminded that the Lord is with us. And that the Lord Almighty will not forsake us. Let's begin by talking about the plea of the psalmist. In verses 1 and 2, we have his cry unto God. And as we look at verses 1 and 2, first of all, there is his passionate request to God. Listen to him if you would. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me. If you wanted to sum up what the psalmist is saying here to Almighty God, it's this. Hear me. The psalmist wanted Almighty God to hear him, to listen to him. How many times in life do we find ourselves in the midst of adverse circumstances and we simply want somebody to listen to us? It's my conviction that the psalmist did the right thing. He turned to the right person, that being Almighty God. One of the great spiritual blessings, and we have a number of spiritual blessings in life, but one of the greatest blessings that we enjoy as God's people is the privilege of prayer. To know that Almighty God will listen to our prayers. To know that God, as Solomon said centuries ago, delights in the prayers of the upright. To know that Almighty God, the one who created the heavens and the earth is interested in my well-being. Peter said the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. God is always available for us to come to him in prayer. And then note if you would, The latter part of verse 2. Not only is he passionate in his request to God, but he wants a prompt reply from God. He said, in the day that I call, answer me speedily. When I read that passage of scripture, I think about how when circumstances don't go our way and we turn to God and we ask for God to intervene to help us, when do we want his help? Typically, we want it immediately, don't we? Many of us lack patience. And yet the psalmist here, in the midst of captivity, is saying, Look, Lord, listen to me, hear me, and then help me. Help me now. I think many of us can we can sympathize and empathize with the distress of the psalmist. He wanted God to answer him speedily. He wanted a a quick reply. There's an interesting passage of scripture found in 2 Kings chapter 20. It's the account of Isaiah being summoned by God to go to the prophet Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the better kings in the history of the Israelite nation. And Hezekiah, according to Isaiah, had a sickness and God Instructed him to set his house in order because he said, You're gonna die, not live. Hezekiah immediately prayed to Almighty God, according to 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 2. Here's what God said through the prophet Isaiah He said, I have heard your prayers, I have seen your tears. What's that say to us? That God acknowledges our prayers, that God takes an interest in our prayers. When you have a problem and you go to talk to somebody, whether it's a friend, a family member, a brother and sister in Christ, whomever it may be, a coworker, a classmate, do you want their undivided attention? I think all of us would agree, yes. Whatever the circumstance in life, when we turn to Almighty God, we have His undivided attention. Not only that, but we have the assurance that God listens attentively to our prayers and that He answers them in accordance with His will. John would say if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us in 1 John chapter 5. Now there's a second thing I want you to see as we think about the struggles of the psalmist. In verse 3 and following, we have his pain. And the psalmist here chronicles in a very detailed way his pain. And he is pouring out his heart to Almighty God. I mentioned just a moment ago that many have titled this, The Prayer of an Overwhelmed Saint. Sometimes in life when we face adverse circumstances or situations, we sit down and we just chronicle the numerous difficulties that we're, that we're facing in life. And the psalmist is saying, look, here's what I'm undergoing. Here's my situation and here are the effects. Here's what it's doing to me. So note, if you would, verse 3. First of all, he talks about his attitude. He said, for my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned like a hearth. Really what he's saying is that his life is vanishing like smoke, going up in smoke. And, and I think the sentiments that he's expressing in this particular verse is that no matter how hard he might try, he's, he's finding it difficult to focus in life, to accomplish anything. How many times have you been beset with problems or trials or tribulations? You face some tough times in life and you can't quite focus. There's no real clarity in life. Day after day, you end the day and you think, what did I do today, what did I accomplish? That's really the feelings of the psalmist here. And then he talks about his aches. Note if you would what he says in verse four. He said, my heart is stricken and withered like grass. The psalmist here expressing that he is grief-stricken, that he is overwhelmed by sorrow. He's hurting and hurting deeply. Many of us, we can understand what it's like to hurt in life. I think about some of the people that I've had the opportunity to, to visit with and to become friends with and associate with over the years. It's amazing the number of people that I've come in contact with, and I, I would assume that it's because of the fact that, that I'm a preacher, but it's amazing the number of people whose lives are sometimes shattered and who are overwhelmed with grief and despair and, and, and many times have no idea where to turn, absolutely 100% grief-stricken to the core. Note also what he says. In the latter part of verse 4, he addresses his appetite. He said, so that I forget to eat my bread. Imagine being so consumed with your problems, so overwhelmed with the burdens of life, you forget to eat. Now there are a lot of things that we forget in life, but many of us, we don't forget to eat, do we? And yet the psalmist is saying, I forgot to eat. Now I understand that there there are times in life when we we face some type of negative circumstance and as a result of that, we don't have an appetite. And that that happens quite frequently. I've known people that because of the circumstances that they're facing, they just don't have an appetite. They can't eat. And then note also what he says in verse 5. In verse 5 he said, Because of the sound of my groaning, My bones cling to my skin. Here we have further insight into his afflictions. The bones really have a lot to say about our strength, don't they? And I think what the psalmist is saying here is that because of his his despair, because of the circumstances that he has found himself in, He can't eat. He's withering away. We talk about people sometimes looking like just a toothpick. They've withered away. They're skin and bones. That's the picture that I get of the psalmist. He's down to skin and bones. And then we come to verse 6. In verse 6 he talks about how he's alone. He said, I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. Down in verse 7 he would say, I'm like a sparrow alone on the housetop. The solemnity of these verses. How somber. And in many respects, sad. I'm I'm not sure if there's anything any worse than feeling all alone in life. Our family has, well, our family has known of a family in DeSoto County. Braden actually went to school with the daughter. And they have faced some unbelievable circumstances in this life. Circumstances that I can't begin to wrap my mind around. They have had some heartbreaking losses. And one of the family members is now in counseling. And the reason is because she is so overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and despair. It's as if life is not worth living. And I understand that. And I made the observation the other day, this family and this girl, they know a lot of people. And yet, sometimes, just because you know a lot of people doesn't mean that you're close to people. You can be be around a lot of people, you can know a lot of people, and yet still feel all alone. And I think in many respects, that's where this young girl is. All alone. And the psalmist here is saying, I'm all alone. Well, that's tough to take. In verse 7, the first part of verse 7, the final characteristic that he cites is the fact that he would lie awake at night. Listen to him. I lie awake. How concise, how succinct is that? You You ever had trouble sleeping at night? You ever toss and turn and you get up the next morning and you feel like you never quite went to sleep? That's what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist is saying, I didn't sleep a wink last night. Why can't can't I sleep? Because of my troubles, because of my trials, because of the adverse circumstances that I'm facing, because of the captivity. I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't think, I can't be motivated to do anything. In other words, his life has come to a crashing halt in many respects. And so the pain of the psalmist... But then I want you to think in the third place about the perception of the psalmist. And really here is the comfort that he would derive in this circumstance or in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of his captivity. We begin by talking about the perpetuity of the Lord. Sometimes when you face difficult times in life and when life is crashing down, you need to step back, take a deep breath, You need to go to the scriptures and you need to develop the right perception because many times it's all about perception. And the psalmist here has the right perception. First of all, he talks about the perpetuity of the Lord. Listen to him in verse 12. He said, but you, O Lord, shall endure forever and the remembrance of your name to all generations. What does that say to us about Almighty God? God is unchanging. The psalmist in Psalm 90 at verse 2 would say, but you, O Lord, are from everlasting to everlasting. God has always been. He will always be. He is a changeless God. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Jesus is a member of the Godhead, the second member of the Godhead, and he, like Almighty God, God the Father, never changes. Malachi would make that statement in the book of Malachi on behalf of God. So God is an unchanging being. He has always existed. He will always exist. And because of the fact that he is an eternal God, he is well equipped to help his people in times of need. Go back and look at the human family. One of the great things about the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is that as Paul said in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, it was written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. When you go back and begin to read about the lives of David and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, and you look at some of the great prophets of God, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Amos and Joel, etc., and then you come to the New Testament and you read about Peter and James and John and Matthew and Luke the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and other people. One of the things that stands out in my mind is that Almighty God was always there for them. Why is that? Because God is an unchanging being. I can look back and I can see how God operated in their lives. I can can see how God was there for them and with them through their trials and difficulties. And I can garner strength from that. David would say in Psalm 56, many, many centuries ago, he said, this I know, God is for me. That was written over 2,000 years ago, and David is expressing a sentiment that is true today. God is for us. Not only is God for us, he's with us. And then there's a second thing I want you to see. And that is the pity of the Lord. Here's what the psalmist said. You will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Despite their captivity, despite the fact that Israel had been swept away into 70 years of Babylonian captivity, in light of the fact that they were in exile, God would still accomplish His purposes. And we talk about God being an unchanging God and God being well equipped to aid and to help those of us who are part of the human family. God demonstrated mercy, compassion, pity, if you please on the children of Israel. Yes, it's true they went into 70 years of of captivity. At the end of those 70 years, God allowed them to leave. And he raised up a man by the name of Cyrus, king of the Medes and the Persians. And it was through Cyrus that God's people were allowed to return to their homeland and begin rebuilding the temple in about 539 BC. Why did God spare that remnant? Why did God save a remnant of Judah? To accomplish his purpose. What was that purpose? To bring the Christ into the world? To save the human family? And really if you look at Psalm 102. There are some messianic overtones in this text. But God has the ability. To show mercy to his people. To demonstrate pity. What about us today? What was it that took Israel into captivity? It was sin wasn't it? Israel was an idolatrous nation. And Israel was unfaithful to Almighty God. God had said through the prophet Jeremiah that he was married to them. That intimate relationship, and yet they had violated that relationship. And Jeremiah pleaded with those people to come back. He encouraged them to honor the will of God. He would say in Jeremiah chapter 6, Stand ye in the way and see, and ask for the old paths, when is the good way, and walk therein, And he said, you shall find rest unto your souls. But he added this statement. He said that the response of Judah, we will not walk in your ways. They were rebellious. And because of sin, they were taken into captivity. And yet, in captivity, God eventually showed mercy or pity upon them, didn't he? What does that say to us? We as members of the human family, we sin, we fail, we miss the mark, we transgress the law of God, and yet God in heaven still demonstrates pity or mercy to us. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, he said, are you saved. So God is a merciful God, a compassionate God, And when you read the Old Old Testament, the prophets, when you read the the New Testament, some of the letters of the Apostle Paul and Peter and others, it's absolutely clear that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. God's interested in the salvation of people. He's interested in showing mercy and compassion and love to the human family. And the Lord would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth And then there's a a third thing I want you to see in this. And it has to do with the presence of the Lord. Note verse 17. In verse 17, he said, He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. Note verse 18. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven the Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. I believe that those passages there are messianic. But nonetheless, we talk about the presence of Almighty God. Where was God when Israel was in captivity? You know where God was? He was on his throne in heaven. Where is God today when we face difficulties and trials and tribulations and unsettling situations in life? He is in heaven on his throne. And God is still in control. He is an omnipotent God. He is an omnipresent God. And the word omnipresent simply means he is ever-present. God is always near his people. Sometimes we will talk about when, when problems arise, we'll tell a friend, a family member, we'll say, I'm just a phone call away. Well, what God says through his word, I'm just a prayer away. Now, I would freely grant that the presence of God is always with us. But not only do we have his presence, but we have the ability to pray to one who is close by at all times. Do you remember what what the Hebrew writer said many centuries ago? The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. When Joshua assumed the role of the leader, of the children of Israel following the death of Moses. What did God say to him to encourage him? God said in the long ago, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. In short, I'll be with you through thick and thin, good and bad times. That's what God says to us today. He'll be with us. I want to ask you a question tonight. Don't you need God in your life? Isn't it comforting to know that God is with you come what may? It's encouraging to know that friends and family members will sometimes stand behind us and rally around us. And there are times in this congregation where people have had distressing situations and we've seen God's people at work rallying around one another. As a child of God, we need to understand God will always be there for us. He is always there for us. There'll never be a time when he's not with us. If anybody leaves the Lord, it won't be him, it'll be us. And my prayer is that we would never leave leave the Lord, that we would stay true to him, that we would resolve, come what may, we're in this thing till death. And then there's a final thing I would call attention to, and that is the power of the Lord. Drop down and look at verse 25. In verse 25, we have a quotation Well, actually, this verse is quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer there is stressing the fact that we have a better spokesman than the prophets in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, in that chapter, he shows the superiority of Jesus over angelic beings. And then he quotes these verses. Why is that? Because he shows that Jesus is the creator. He is the carpenter of creation. And so in verse 25, he said, if you are rather of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, all of them will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. We talked about the perpetuity of the Lord. The fact that almighty God is an eternal being. He is a changeless being in contrast to those of us who belong to the human family. But nonetheless, note what he says. You, O Lord, laid the foundations of the earth, the heavens are the works of your hands. Who made the world? God did. Who made us? God did. What do you think the psalmist is saying here? Here's what I get from this. If Almighty God had the power to create this world, to create a universe that operates according to laws. We talk about divine engineering. When you look at the human body, when you look at our universe, you see divine engineering. God is the one that created this world. And what I take from this is if God had the ability to create this universe, surely he has the ability and the power to help me wherever I am in this life. God has the ability, he has the power to be with me, come what may. There's a great passage of scripture found over in about Psalm 121. And in that chapter, the psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And then he asked this question, from whence comes my help? You know what he said? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth now think about what the psalmist is saying there the psalmist asked the question from whence comes my help he said look my help comes from God my help comes from the God who created the heaven and the earth you know anybody more powerful than that do you know anybody that has the ability to create the heaven, the earth, the universe, the world in which we live you know anybody that has the ability to create man, I don't know anybody like that And the psalmist is saying here that God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. And as an omnipotent being, he has the ability to intervene in my life, to help me, to stand by me when I'm overwhelmed, when when I am upside down in problems. Can we conquer difficult times? Absolutely. Look, Look at the psalmist in Psalm 102. He is pouring out his heart to God. And yet, in the midst of captivity, under duress, he turns to the right person. He acknowledges the presence, the power, the pity, the perpetuity of Almighty God. I would close tonight by saying this. Whatever your situation may be in this life, All is not lost. Paul said on one occasion, If God be for us, who can be against us? If God's on your side, let me tell you what, you're a winner. You're a victor. I want to encourage you tonight, if you're not a Christian, to become a Christian. There are a lot of reasons I could give you for becoming a child of God. One is to be saved to have the hope of heaven. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Our access to God is through him, John 14, 6. How do we come to Jesus? Well, we demonstrate an obedient faith, don't we? We are, as Jesus said, we are to be born again, John chapter three, verses three through five. When we are born again, that is, once we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, repented of sin, confessed his name before others, and been immersed in the water or grave of baptism, we enjoy the remission of sins. That is forgiveness, Acts 2.38. We become a part of the family of God, and we are among the saved, the redeemed, the cleansed, those who are heaven-bound. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.23 that Jesus is the Savior of the body. So that's one reason why you need to be a Christian. But let me tell you another reason why you need to be a Christian. Because when it's all said and done, this life is not easy. If you haven't experienced tough times, just brace yourself because you probably will. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. This life is tough. I can't imagine going through life. Day in and day out, the struggles and the trials and the tribulations. I can't imagine not being able to turn to God. I can't imagine not knowing that God is not at my side. We talk about having a great message to share. There are a lot of folks, they've been promised a lot of things and they've been told by friends and family members that in times of trouble, somebody would stand by them. In other words, they'd stand by them. Then troubles come and what happens? They flee like a bird. What God is saying through his word is, I'll be with you through thick and thin. I'll always be there for you. You don't have to worry about that. So that's a viable reason why you need to become a child of God, to know that you don't have to, you don't have to sail through this life alone. God won't just be your co-pilot. He'll be your pilot. He'll get you from earth to heaven. You just trust him live for him, read his word, honor what it says, and one day you'll be in heaven. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe circumstances are such in your life that you gave up a long time ago living for the Lord. Maybe because of this problem or that problem, you're not where you ought to be. And so what we want to do tonight is appeal to you to come home, come back to the Lord. Sometimes people have to hit rock bottom before Before they come home, I want to encourage you, if you have a spiritual need tonight, if you're not faithful to the Lord, come home. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?